You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 81. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Jake Plummer, former Pro Bowl NFL quarterback, to talk about what fueled his competitive mindset and why he loved playing football so much. Jake shares how he managed his energy before games and how his pre-performance routine changed over time so he could be more effective throughout a game. In this episode, you're going to hear two quarterbacks talking about the mental side of the game and sharing intimate stories that inspired their joy for the game of football. For Jake, it was more than just throwing touchdowns and being in the spotlight. It was about winning. Hey, Jake, how are you? I'm doing good, Grant. Doing really good. Awesome. I'm, uh, I'm super excited to have you on my show not only because we're going to be two quarterbacks talking shop here from a mindset standpoint, but just uh, it's an honor to have you on my show because I've watched you all the way from your ASU days all the way up throughout your professional career. So I'm really excited, not only for myself, but my listeners, just to kind of hear your mindset and hear what you're doing right now uh, with Ready List. Yeah, man. Well, I'm, I'm excited to be on the show, and uh, I failed to, to, to ask you back, how are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great, man. My energy's good. I'm uh, I'm on fire awesome. to tell you the truth, so I'm feeling really good. Right on, man. Well, yeah, we're two old QBs ready to talk shop. So I've been uh, excited to be on the podcast and talk some uh, talk about whatever comes up, man. I'm game for anything. I love it. I love it. Well, this is my favorite topic: mental toughness. And so, I, I want to ask you this question: What does mentally tough mean to you? Oh, that takes uh, that take a while to go fully in depth on on what everything that you know mental toughness stands for. But in you know, quick short answer, you know, mental toughness is just not afraid of any challenge, and and especially not afraid to get knocked down during you know the pursuit of of conquering that challenge. So mental toughness to me is just being persistent, being resilient, and never giving up. And you know, along with a lot of other things that you could add in there. But basically, to me, that's kind of what mental, mentally tough means is uh, not letting something derail you from your ultimate goal and being able to find the, the toughness uh, mentally to, to push through and to keep going. If it really means something to you, you're going to keep pushing, keep striving for whatever that goal may be. And that, to me, is mental toughness. I love it. I love it. It just kind of brings up um, uh, an image of uh, the art of falling down and getting back up. And, and that, you know, you and I, all the years we played football, I mean, all the shots we had to take, you know, for the team and for the play, and we had to get back up and had to be mentally tough in that moment. For sure, man. That's, you know, sports, the reason sports is such a character builder and why people continue to, uh, you know, put their kids into sports and play sports and challenge themselves is just for that, I believe, is that ability to, you know, you get knocked down, you get back up again, and, you know, that's how it works. Uh, you know, in life, you're going to get told no, you're going to have failures, you're going to have moments that test you, and uh, sports will get you ready for that. And, and like you said, Ben, as a quarterback, the ball's in our hand every play. So, you know, to be realistic, you're not going to be perfect. 100% of the time and how you respond to those failures or those, you know, those times when you don't succeed, you know, that's what makes a good leader, what makes a, a good quarterback or someone that, that is mentally tough to just, hey, forget it. What's happened, what's happened is done. Now it's time to, you know, push forward. What's the next challenge going to be? And that's, uh, that's how I always approach the game and life now is just, hey, whatever you do, let go of it and, and try to do better the next time. Absolutely, absolutely, and and when you think about your career, from a, a, a mental toughness standpoint, was there a moment in a game or or in your career that that you had to be mentally tough and it defined the game or defined your career? Oh, oh man, uh, yeah, there's been many many times, uh, you know, all the way down into Pop Warner. You know, I I, <laughs> I had moments uh, as a little kid playing ball that. Uh, I mean, I guess I should take it even further than that with my brothers. You know, I had two older brothers, so they kind of spearheaded the mental toughness aspect of growing up where they were extreme sports crazed fools. You know, they wanted to play ball constantly and watch sports and everything was, uh, 
you know, a game and a challenge and a, and a competition. So that really taught me at a young age uh, to, to, to strive for good, for greatness, to not get down if you get beat. Because with all the brothers, you know they're going to beat you. Right. Uh, they're going to beat you, and then they're going to beat you up. So <laughs> you had to get mentally tough. And, uh, you know, I can remember back to my brothers who would say, when we're playing catch with a Nerf football, they would, uh, if I touched it and dropped it, they would have a saying that said, if you touch it, you catch it. Yep. You know, so, you know, if you, if you touch the ball, you better catch that thing. So that was the challenge set forth to me for, at a young age. And then that went all the way up through, you know, my sports career, not just football, but playing all sports. Uh, you know, the, the challenge to, to do best, do your best. And then if you get beat, you know, what do you, how do you respond? You know, that's mental toughness. And, uh, you know, into high school, I had multiple times where I had to, you know, step up and be the leader and, and kind of take control. And I think, you know, when it got to the big time, as far as when I really had to step up, my mental toughness was at ASU when we went three and eight when I was a sophomore. That was challenging to go that, to go three and eight when we when we had a lot better team than that. And then, uh, you know, at Arizona Card with the Cardinals, I had a couple seasons of three and thirteen. So mentally, you've got to be super tough to stay those extra hours to try to turn the, turn the switch or turn the tide to give your team a chance to win. Even in the face of, you know, what looks like certain defeat, you got to always stay mentally tough. So there were multiple, multiple times um, to single out one, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could, I'd have to really think about it, but there were so many times during a game, the ebb and the flow of the game where you just have to let things go and move up, move on and get ready to face that next challenge. Absolutely. And you, you bring up, a, a lot of memories in my childhood because I had an older brother as well, and he'd say the same <laughs> thing, man. If it touches your hands, you gotta catch it. And and he would tell me, he would tell me to say that to my wide receivers. And it was funny because, uh, like like you said, like they either wanted to beat me or they beat me up. And it was just so funny that my brother would just light me up on Charlie horses. And I remember, as he's you know being the big brother, he was like, I'm getting I'm getting you ready for life. I'm getting you ready for football. And he just drilled me uh, on my thigh. So that, I thought that was kind of funny from a big brother standpoint. Yeah, big brothers are amazing, man. They really uh, – they, they, they can be awesome. Mine were amazing. My big brothers involved me, and, you know, I would whine and cry and fight to be able to play with them, whether it was ping pong or dodgeball or whatever, man. We were always playing, and they, they, they never held back. They beat me pretty bad. and <laughs> I have a lot of uh, appreciation for that now that I've grown up and – the the things I accomplished, a lot of that was, you know, considerable amount of that was because my brothers never let me quit, never let me be uh, soft, and they always kept me going. So that's cool. You had a brother that sounds similar. You know, balls flying at you, you got to learn to dodge them, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or catch them. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, and same thing. Awesome brother, great relationship. Um, you know, I went through our growing pains as a kid, but you know, as I started showing more success and showing more confidence in my play, for whatever reason, uh, football made him and I and our relationship so much tighter. And uh, so it was kind of cool how football like kind of you know mirrored or married our relationship as brothers. It was kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Sports are good that way. They are, man. They are. So w- when you think about your your style of play or your mindset, how would you describe that? Because I. I have the way that I've seen you, even when you were at ASU and also when you played throughout the NFL, which I thought was the, the way you played was awesome. But how would you describe your play and your mindset? Oh, man, you know, it was, uh, there were times that I, I, I would think back to being out on the playground in, you know, the fourth, fifth grade, playing tackle football and, you know, thinking about, <laughs> you know, hey, we're down by this or we're these guys are all trying to get me and you know what I would do is just get lost in the moment of, of trying to avoid them and try to make the play and trying to make the guys around me better. Uh, not by anything other than just giving effort and, and positive thoughts and believing that, you know, until that game is over or the clock hits zero, we're still in this no matter what the score is. Like seriously, no matter what the score, let's stick to this and keep pushing. So maybe something will, We'll swing, a, you know, a minimal swing and, and get a couple breaks. And all of a sudden, you know, those ones that gave up, we're back in the ball game now. So that was kind of my mentality. And, and you know, the, the thing that <laughs> a funny story pops into my head or a thought when you mentioned that, my style is sitting 
talking to Rob Smith on the sideline here in Denver uh, during a game, and I'd just thrown an interception or two, and uh, you know, I maybe had had my second interception of the game, and then I came out, took the field, took the game, the team down, and scored the game-winning touchdown. And he's sitting there looking at me. He's like, "Man, what's up with you?" And he made a joke. It's not a funny joke, kind of, <laughs> because I know uh, the disease is, is is real. But he says, "Man, what do you got? Alzheimer's or something?" And I just laughed and looked at him. I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Man, you just forget all the <laughs> crappy play you had, and you just go out there and 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 do it when it matters." And that was my style. I mean, I wasn't perfect. I definitely wasn't, you know, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. But my guys, my guys felt, I think that, you know, give me a chance and and good things could happen. And they knew that I was never going to give up. Like, didn't matter if I threw six picks on six, you know, straight throws. I was going to come out like I hadn't thrown a pick yet and still try to fit that ball in the seam or still try to make that big play to turn the tide. And that's really, I think, what endeared me to them. And kept me going for as long as I did is that ability to push the mistakes away and hey what's next is what matters not what happens I I see quarterbacks all the time now that sit on the sideline and mope or they throw an interception and the defense needs to get the ball back and where are they at they're sitting over on the bench trying to fix their hair and not look like the the, the reason the team lost which to me just it just I, I can't stand that. I want to see that quarterback like Phillip Rivers that's up, you know, yelling at the defense and telling them, give me that ball back, baby. Just give me a chance. So that was me. That was how I played. Um, I was a fiery competitor. And, you know, you, you, you mess with me or one of my teammates, it's on. And so that was the way I, I went after my career. And, and, and thankfully, that's how I was brought up with my brothers and competing and, you know, never pointing the finger, man, knowing that if I could do any better and help the team, then you better do that. Yeah, and to be honest with you, that's what I saw growing up. Uh, and I and I'm gonna I'm, later in the show. I'm gonna come back to the the Rose Bowl game against um, mm. Ohio State. But I saw that I saw that fire in you. I, it, it, if anything, I would say if one word, you were a competitor. It didn't like you said. It didn't matter what just happened because again, that's out of our control. It's about what's happen, what's gonna happen next. And I saw that. And yep. you know, being a Barry kid and growing up back then, the Pac-10. You know, there was quarterbacks like yourself and Mike Pawlowski. And I, even though you guys had different, a little bit different style, but you guys were like, it didn't matter. You guys were like, you take anything off your chin. You guys were like com- ultimate yeah. competitors. You guys would, you would actually sacrifice your body. And back then there wasn't a lot of quarterbacks doing a lot of running and throwing. So <laughs> I could just see like just the competitor in you. Yeah. That makes you think of something else that Rod Smith said. I, I, I ran and like dove for the end zone in the second quarter of like game three during the season and took a hard shot and, you know, and I got back up, but I didn't, I didn't make it in. And on the sideline, Rod's like cursing me out. He's like, dude, you guys you can't take those hits, man. And I looked at him and just said, what do you mean, man? I'm trying to score. It doesn't never cross my mind to stay safe. Like, Ooh, don't get hit. Let's just get it to the six inch, six inches from the end zone. Right. If I get hurt during it, Hey, that's the game. The game is football. You get hurt, but, if not, you know, that fires up everybody if you're, if you're showing that fearlessness and that kind of, uh, you know, unflappable mindset where, hey, whatever happens, I'm going to take it by the horns and go for it. So, yeah, man, I, I, uh, I learned a lot playing ball, and it's definitely served me well post-career. It's funny, like, you see these quarterbacks now, like a, like a Josh Allen, who, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Bills fan, so I, I love the way he plays. But every time he, I see him run, I, I keep on, like, I'm so – I've changed. I'm like, don't do that. But I'm like, why not? <laughs> He's got to get the first down. He's got to get that touchdown. So um, that's his job, right? That's, that's what you're being paid for. Exactly. Not to go, you know, lay down and in the pocket collapses, you know, go lay down. I, I won't name names, but I see quarterbacks do that, and it just makes me sick. It's like, if if I was a defensive lineman on that team, I'd have no respect for that quarterback if he just lays down when he might get sacked. It's like, come on, dude. <laughs> but you know, some would say that's smart—the smart way to play. But I never really ever thought of being smart on the field. I just wanted to win and, and make the play work. Right. Totally. Absolutely. You know, when we yeah. talk about mindset, I, I call this a warrior mindset, where you let go of who you are as a person and you turn into something when you get on that field. And I learned that, uh, you know, probably getting more into my junior college days, where as soon as I stepped on that green field. There was, it was at practice, it was at every game. It allowed me to actually let go of everything and be completely immersed 
into the game and immersed into my little my own alter ego. And when you think of these warrior mindsets or alter egos in sport, like you know, one of them that's really prevalent is Kobe Bryant, the Black Mamba. And yeah. I know that he has that that Mamba mentality that he's adopted and shared with the the whole universe about it, which is awesome. And I know you've had an alter ego where people have called you Jake the Snake. And I was just wondering, how much did that persona or that alter ego play a part in your game or your mindset? Well, uh, you know, nicknames and and that sort of thing, uh, they come around for multiple reasons, you know, sometimes for good and sometimes they're not good, you know. And uh, (laughs) the snake was not a bad connotation. It's actually, you know, my, my, my real name is Jason. And I started going by Jake in the fifth grade or the third grade because there were five Jasons in the class. <laughs> and I started playing football, and I was skinny and knew how to run around and make people miss. So the moniker Snake kind of made it happen. You know, it was like that's what uh, – that stuck. And it was actually an appropriate nickname. And after that, you know, I kind of was the one that made that nickname prevalent when I got to ASU and signed the first fan photo day. Uh, I signed Jake the Snake Plumber. You know, I just put it in there. And now everybody started calling me the snake, and I was skinny. And like I said, I could weave through stuff. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I did take on that that persona a little bit. And then, you know, outside of the game, you know, I I wasn't quite the same person off the field. You know, when you strap it on, you know, you really get mentally into that competitive nature and you want to win at all costs and, and lead your guys through adversity and pull through. But outside of the game, it was more... You know, just want to have fun and enjoy life and, and still be very competitive. There were times, you know, playing horseshoes that I'd get a little mad if I didn't win or if I was playing handball that I'd get a little upset. But that was just in my own makeup to be competitive. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you say, you know, the personas. My wife, who I met in Denver in 05, uh, you know, she saw that, you know, when I was out in public or during the game or around people and fans, I was Jake the Snake. But then when we get home, she actually would call me Jason because I was a completely different person that, you know, a lot more mellow and into just hanging out and seeing family and friends and having good food and listening to music and having fun, right? So, yeah, there's definitely uh, – uh, when you strap it on, uh, I've got a lot of teammates that respect me for my competitiveness and my fire and my, you know, wanting to, to, to turn up the volume and set the tone. But there are some out there, too, that – you might not have the greatest story about me because I wasn't the nicest person at times when I felt like if you weren't putting forth the effort that I was, that I needed to help me be successful. Um, there are many times that, you know, I'd go to go get, get at the throat of somebody on my team, whether it's an O-lineman, O-line coach or a DB or someone that I felt was not putting forth the effort. So competitors, they don't worry about that because I'm going to go out and give it my all. And I knew that 100%. So if I see you giving me lack of effort, you're going to get an earful from me because that's, that's not acceptable on, on my team. Totally. And, and I think as a leader, whether it's in sport or in the workplace, if you're going to be a leader, you have to do uncomfortable things. And holding people accountable is, can be very uncomfortable, but you got to own that. you got to own it, and then you got to be good with it. You know, and if you want to circle back with that person, great, cool. But people got to know that, you know, you, you, you're going to do uncomfortable stuff. And, you know, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about, like, like John Elway. Like, when you think about someone um, like yourself who's ultimate uh, competitor in everything, from what I've been told and read some books about him and Mike Shanahan, that if it came to, like, pool or, like, darts, he was, like, ultra, <laughs> super competitive and didn't, didn't care about how you felt. He just wanted to win. Yeah. You know, it's uh... – there's a, there's something in the genetic makeup of guys like that that you know strive for the for greatness and and they reach it but then they want more they want to become the best GM uh, and run a team which he's done a hell of a job and I think you know that's just there's something in those kind of people and and it's in me too but as I've grown up you know my wife has been a big influence on me post career to be a little more mellow about things and having kids too you know I want to make sure they understand that you know, being competitive is good, but at certain times, it's okay if you lose. It's okay, you know, you, you learn valuable lessons when you, when you get beat or when you don't succeed. Uh, in fact, some, most of the time I ever got better or pushed myself harder was when I would get beat or lose or be the reason that we lost. 
that would be motivation to work harder to, to hopefully avoid that. So being competitive, uh, you know, my wife is not competitive, <laughs> but I am. So I've had to kind of dial it back a little bit because with three young kids, you know, you can't go out there and kick their ass and horse every single game. you got to let them have a little bit of feeling of success. But you do need to show them, like, yeah, if I wanted to, I could stop shooting left-handed and I could beat you every single time if I wanted to, uh, you know, but, but lightly, do it nicely so that they want to continue to try to get better themselves. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, going back to that, you know, the – the warrior mindset or the alter ego is like we as athletes we have to be responsible of once we get into that mindset or in that thing we have to know how to turn it off or or have a yeah. balance to it because i think i see a lot of people man it's and it's dangerous they they turn into something on the field especially in the game of football or in ufc fighting like they and then they leave that ring or that field and they're still that same fighter and it's like whoa you got to turn that yeah. off I know a lot of guys that, you know, they leave the game of football, but they're still that middle linebacker gets you down. Like you mess with me or one of mine, it's on. And that's, that's dangerous. You know, you got to be able to find a way to to balance that out and find a way to find peace post career, but, but, you know, but still have fun. And, you know, for me, one thing that was a must was when we play ball game, uh, my focus was laser focused throughout the week into the game, throughout the game. When the game was over, if, it, if we lost and I didn't play well, it, it really sucked. And I was down and I didn't like it and I didn't like that feeling. But then when I left that stadium and I got in my car or I went back to my dorm room or apartment or came back home to see family that was visiting, I let it go. I let it go because there was, like we just mentioned earlier, there was nothing I could do now. I pulled the trigger. It didn't work. And now I'm here to lick my wounds and, and have fun with my friends and family that are visiting and let the game go. So I was always really good at compartmentalizing, you know, the time when you need to have that laser sharp focus and competitiveness and chew your face off, you know, beat you mentality. But then when it didn't turn out or if it did turn out when the game was over, man, I was having fun. It was time to go enjoy myself and let that all go because in football, as you know, Grant, you play the game, and then you get abused during the game if, the coach, if you're not playing well. And after the game, the media would get to you, yep. and then you go home, and then what do you have to do? The next day, you've got to come back and watch that film and watch every single mistake you made or every insufficient play you, you played. Or maybe you took a seven-step drop instead of a five-step drop, and that's why you were late throwing the in route. And you didn't even know you did that on the field, but when you watch the, the film now with your coach, you're going, oh, my God, I had a worse game than I even thought. So you got to revisit it. So that's where I would just shut it out, let it go, enjoy my friends and family before they left, knowing that i got to go get chewed up again in about 24 hours or less than 24 hours, usually, you know, another 10 hours, go in and get, you know, get torn up by the coaches. And, you know, you just have to be able to get through that. And, and I think compartmentalizing – is big, especially for young kids and the stress we put on them now in youth sports. You know, I didn't have that put on me as a youngster. You know, my brothers wanted me to win, but they didn't hammer me if we lost. They never, ever chewed me up and told me that it was my fault or that I could play better. You know, they just distracted me. And, you know, after a football game, we lose, they'd pull out the baseball mitts, we go play baseball, go shoot baskets and get that feeling out of your head. And that's really important, I think, for some kids to learn that, you know, you don't have to – be on all the time and and once you perform you know let it go once you're done there's nothing you can do yeah it's it's huge it's a huge lesson and i think it's 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 Big when, time. yeah and when you talk about control if you can control those emotions and control the controllables man you're in control i mean this it is when you know when you know how to turn it on and then turn it off because a lot of the stuff yeah, you that, know they call that yeah go ahead no i just say a lot of that stuff it just doesn't serve you anymore when when you're thinking about all your failures and all the things that are making you feel bad, the, the lesson yeah. is how do you plug into the feedback? Because feedback is, is you know, failure is, is informative. So if we can get into the socket of, of going, how do I get better, and then let it go, that's control. But when you start plugging into the emotion of failing, that's where you get paralyzed and you get stuck, and it's hard to move forward and play present. That's so true, man. Fear of failure can, can paralyze your abilities your natural abilities and 
you know, there's a word for that. You know, I like to use channeling, like making sure you channel your energy where it needs to be. Right. I mean, there's ways to, to let your energy and your thoughts drag you down, but if you channel them correctly, uh, you know, that's the way to go. And one small, small little memory that pops up. And I say that is pregame for me when they go into the locker room right before you go out to really strap it up and go to battle. You know, I would, I would always sit there and, you know, people would say prayers or the team would say a prayer. And in my mind, I would go through, you know, visualizing people that aren't around that I wish were there to watch me. And then the thought of getting hurt would sometimes come into my mind, like, God, I hope I don't get hurt today. And if that happened, I immediately would just say, Nope, not today. Not to me. Not going to happen. Push it it out. And that's channeling the right energy and the right focus. And like, Another situation when I got end of my career here in Denver, I was on the bench and uh, they put in Jay Cutler and we were playing San Diego down in San Diego and we were underperforming. We should have been beating this team. We were way better than them. And I wasn't able to go out there and like be the catalyst, right? I wasn't able to go and like make that play or or demand that because I wasn't the, the starter now. I was just the backup to Jay Cutler. And I, from the sideline, started getting on every one of my teammates guys that would go sit on the bench and were just sitting there like, yeah, all right, this is over. I started, I started chewing their ass and I was getting mad at everybody and telling them, if you're going to sit here and pout and, and, and not watch, you're going to miss something special. And I was going up and down the sideline. I remember Shanahan was looking at me like I was a crazed man. I was, I was like seriously chewing people's asses about (laughs) flipping the, flipping the momentum. And so all of a sudden we get a break. And then we get a penalty and then we get this. And then all of a sudden we're right back in the ball game. And I didn't, I didn't do it, but I think just shifting the mental focus of yeah. my team from like, Oh shit, here we go again to, Oh, wait a sec. We're not too far out of this. We're down three scores, but that can happen quick. A pick six. Now we're only down two scores. And so I just made sure everybody stayed in it. And that was, you know, that was what I tried to do, man, was just never let guys give up. Hey, if you're playing bad and you've given up five sacks, let it go, man. I trust you to go out and do the job. You know, I always was trying to stay positive and, and let the guys know that, hey, till that clock hits zero, we're in this thing. Well, you know, I love what you're saying because and we, we talk about, you know, mindset, the mental game, the physical talents and all this kind of stuff that, you know, that makes up an athlete. But truly all of that, the mental game, the physical game, the emotional game, all of that is actually – charged by energy so when you're talking about channeling energy it only takes one person to actually affect energy positively or negatively and when you were just sharing that that moment you know a few years ago when we saw the patriots in the super bowl playing against the the falcons you know the patriots were going to win and then they're getting their asses kicked at halftime i don't know it was 28 to 3 and it was in the middle of the third yeah. quarter. Took that one small wide receiver by the name of Julian Edelman was just up and down. It wasn't Tom Brady. It was Julian Edelman going up and down, yeah. telling everybody, "We got this." And it was all about belief and all of his energy. And then Tom kind of got on the train, and then everybody just started believing it. But it took that one person yeah. to kind of stand up and be vulnerable. That kind of thing is contagious, you know. To be to to be positive and not give up and. I used to love, I had a lot of teammates that, you know, would do that for me. So it wasn't me all the time, but, you know, as a quarterback, you know, there's time to step up and, and actually set your foot down. So I'm glad you brought that up, man. That's, that's a great, great, you know, thought of, uh, Hey, against all adversity in the biggest game of your life, what do you do? You know, you do you tank and throw it in, throw in the towel and no way, man. I always call my fans out here in Denver or, or anybody and fans, I'm always saying, you know, stay positive. 0-4. The Broncos, are were, they were 0-4, so they got a win last week. But I tell the fans, like, your negative thoughts and your first quarter, like, oh, they're going to lose this game, that, that stuff's powerful. And it is. You've got to stay positive. And I believe in a stadium with 75,000 people, <laughs> like you just said, man, if you can have more of them believing and, and staying like, yeah, we got this, we got this, that the chances to win are much greater than – you know, when you play for another organization, I won't name any teams, but they just maybe don't have that same belief in the organization that no matter what, they're going to be in this game. And uh, that's a powerful thing, the power of energy. And I'm, I'm a true believer in that. Totally. The power of energy that fuels the power of belief. And it's just a, it's a, it's a winning combination. 
I will say this though, because I, I like to bring this up, especially with um, with younger athletes, because I think when you think of uh, nerves, a lot of athletes, especially at the high school level that I work with, there's a their relationship with with anxiousness and, and nerves. They they think it's negative, and and I and I know that at this point, especially at an elite level, you know, we want to be nervous. We want our bodies are telling us that we're ready to perform. But did you get nervous before games, and how did you deal with your nerves? Yeah, you know, I nerves or whatever you want to call it, you know, I try to stay away from, you know, nerves and nervousness has kind of a negative connotation if you think about it, you yeah. know, when you're nervous. It's, you're on edge, and you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I think that rather than say nerves, it was I would always say I'm, I'm anxious. I'm anxious to go put forth, you know, put that out on the field, what we practice all week. I was more, I try to flip that, that what could have been a negative feeling into a positive thought of like being anxious and excited and ready to go. And, and, and that took some time too for me to learn to channel so that I wasn't depleting my energy reserves by being so jazzed up and excited. Cause I see, I, I used to do that. I get so excited for a game and then I go out there, I'd be tired. Like, damn, I just burned a lot of energy yeah. getting ready for this game and jumping <laughs> around and hitting people instead. I like, my coach, in fact, the coach in Arizona, uh, Mark Tressman, uh, and Jeep Chris, I think, too, were like, hey, man, I see you drinking some drinks for the game. You know, what's in that? And it was a, a all-natural drink that my trainer, Brett Fisher, would give me, and it had, had all-natural, like, guarine, I think it is, which is kind of a natural caffeine substance that would just amp you up and get you ready. Yep. And it was all-natural, but it would give me that little juice, and they said, Maybe you should try not drinking that and then, you know, <laughs> listen to some chill music and see what happens. So I tried it and it helped. It put me in more of a calm kind of, not a meditative state, but a definitely a, a state of mind where I was more at peace. I was relaxed. And what would happen then, I'd start yawning. Yes. And then I'd get worried like, damn, I'm tired. I'm not going to be able to play. And another coach told me that that's a good thing. Uh, and I can't remember who it is who told me this. I, I wish I had it in my head, but one of my old coaches said before games, uh, I think it was Barry Sanders who would would just get tired and almost lay down and take a quick nap. But a coach told me that's good when you're yawning. It means you're relaxed. It means you're ready. It means mentally and physically and, and whole, whole body, everything. It means you're ready because you're not up pacing, looking through the book and thinking, oh, God, did I get ready? You're actually relaxed enough to like yawn ah, and get ready to go. So I find myself trying to chill out, listen to a little Bob Marley or something in my headphones, not Megadeth, and uh, you know get ready to go out and just hey, I'm the leader. I got to set the tone, know when to get excited, but also know how to like kind of set that hey, confident tone that we're going to go out today and succeed. Yeah, I love it that you bring it up because when I talk about. I call it more of uh, energy management when it comes to the nerves and stress and all that stuff. But when when you think about it, your body does two things when it's ready to perform anything. Whether if you're going to speak in front of people or go play a game, it's either going to get nervous and amped up or you're either going to get lethargic and you're going to yawn. And it's funny because there was a, an athlete that I worked with who had been playing her sport for a long, long time. And I went up to her before she was going to uh, compete and I said, how you feeling? She's like, I am so nervous right now. I'm so anxious. And I'm like, are you nervous? Or are you excited? And she looked at me after years of playing her sport. And she goes, I can get excited. I was like, whoa, <laughs> right? So people have been living in this paradigm for a long wow. time, right? So I had to open up to a new, a new way of thinking. And then when you think about the, the yawning and being a little bit lethargic, because a lot of times athletes feel like, Man, if I'm yawning, if I'm a little bit tired, maybe I'm not going to play well. Well, that's not the case. Your body's just telling you no. it's getting ready, right? And there's a great quote. Yeah. This is a great story with, um, I'm going to say his name because we probably might hear him in the future. His name is Luke Batari. And he actually played at Sarah High School uh, where Tom Brady played. And I coached a few years there. He broke every single record, every single record as a quarterback there. And even Tom Brady's. And, and he's really short. He's a short guy. But he came up to me and he's like, man, I'm, I'm, I always yawn and I always think I'm going to go into a game not going, doing well. And I'm like, it's kind of funny because you broke every record and you go into that. And so I had to make, I go, it's a great thing. He's like, really? It's a great thing? I'm like, yeah, man, you're ready to go. 
Oh, that's funny, man. You know, I've started having to have yawn therapy before games now and get people <laughs> yawning. <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a funny thing you bring up because, you know, handball, handball for me is, was a sport I played a lot during my growing up as a youngster and even during my playing days at, at ASU and Arizona and here in Denver. It was a, a way to cross-train and go compete in the offseason. But after I retired and started playing, I – I got some advice from John Bike, one of the greatest handball players ever. He watched me before my match, and he, after the match, he said, man, I watched you pace around and jumping up and down and clapping your hands and just, like, burning all of your energy, just being excited about the, the match. Like, try to just stand before the serve, breathe, and just conserve as much as you can, and then when it's time to go, then go, and I think, it was such a great lesson for me because then I started approaching the game of handball differently. I wasn't nervous about my opponent or how the game would go. Instead, I was just so excited to get into the, the court. And I was like a dog going to a dog park to chase the ball around, man. That was uh, <laughs> my new mentality. And it really helped. It actually helped in the whole, the long run too, when I would lose a match, which back to losing and, and getting better, uh, you know, a couple lessons there was, you know, I, I'd lose. But I, would, but I would have fun losing. It was like more a challenge to beat the ball, not my opponent. And my brother was one of the guys who taught me this early when I went skiing one time. I came home and said, hey, Brett, I didn't fall once today skiing. And he looked at me and said, well, you didn't get any better. And I, I was confused. And he said, when you fall, you take it to that extreme that you've never gone before. You take it a little steeper run or you try the mogul or you go a little faster or you get on your edges a little more and then you fall and then you learn well, okay there's my there's where i'm at now but if you don't ever push it and in human nature our as humans we're always pushing it if you don't buy into that and try to push through those failures of falling you know that's when you know you don't ever find your full potential so yeah, good story there, man. I think there's so much to be said about the mental approach to sports. Uh, you know, physically, it's great to be in shape and do, you know, ball drills and feet foot drills. And, you know, but one thing I always did before the season started was give it a break for a week or so. I wouldn't run. I wouldn't touch a football. I wouldn't think football. I would go up into the mountains in Idaho and just let it just purge my, my mind and not think one bit about anything except carving a little piece of wood or catching a fish or hiking up that mountain. And then once that season came around, it was like I was refreshed and ready to go. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, and I bet not only refreshed and ready to go, there's probably a, um, an element of, of creativity. You're a little bit more cr- creative, whatever that, that creativity looks like. Because I learned after I left football, I got into music, taught myself how to play guitar and piano and bass and all this fun stuff. And, and and when I was just when I was just working it like every day just pounding on the keys pounding on my guitar and because I had that same mentality that work ethic that I got from football into my into my craft of being a musician and and then for some reason if I didn't play for a week or a couple of weeks I don't know what it was I came back I'm like holy shit I'm making up some great stuff like my creativity's like fresh <laughs> and it kind of brought me yeah. back I'm like what if I would have done that with my with my football career taking a little bit more breaks and not constantly be thinking about football. Yeah, there's something to be said. I mean, that, that we see youth specialization in one sport right now. It's, I think it's actually it's not an epidemic, if that's not the right term, but it's definitely an issue that, that is on the forefront of my mind because I have young kids and, and, you know, these kids that play soccer all year. You know, like hoops was something I played all the time. You know, hoops was something that you could play in the summer and the inside in the winter wherever but when it was time for baseball season you know i wasn't playing seven on seven flag i was fully into baseball and and as you hear me talking i was into every sport of the season where these kids now they're on one sport they're on a recipe for burnout and it's happening kobe bryant you mentioned him earlier is, is big partners with uh, positive coaching alliance the pca and their their message and the message that the Black Mamba has sent out recently is don't retire, kid. Like kids that are 15 retiring from sports. Why? Because they've been in a 10-year career already of playing just soccer. And it's like, yo, if you want to burn your kid out and turn him into somebody that you don't want them to be where they go away from sports and they quit, then play him in one sport. But if you want them to love the games, 
and to thrive and to continue to play, you got to expose them to more than one sport and let them enhance their skill set through playing other sports. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, a, you know, taking that break for me was always refreshing. And, in fact, it really helped, helped me miss my teammates because, you know, we're working out all summer, and then I'd get away from them for a while. When I came back, it was actually good to see them, not like, oh, God, you again. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you talk about specialization and, and burnout, and I, it's a real thing. Um, and I know that it's, it's fueled a lot by the athletes that want to do it, but they don't understand what's going to happen to them in the long run. And the parents, you know, they want to, they want their kids to get that scholarship. They want to get them, you know, uh, scouted or want to get them, you know, in the first round, second round of major league draft, whatever it is. There's all this pressure. And I have a friend that told me just about a year ago, his son was playing 65 games of baseball just in the summer for his club team. And yeah. I was sitting there going, that's oh. a lot, man. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot mentally, and that's too much, way too much physically. There's no way a, a young kid should be playing that much baseball. It's unhealthy. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I, I have friends the same thing, man. They're playing all summer long, and their entire summer is doubleheaders. And then they get done with summer and they're right into football. And it's just like, did you take your kid fishing? Did he go sit by a stream and skip rocks or throw a, throw a rock at a tree or pick up a stick and hit a rock? I mean, that helps your baseball game doing that. But <laughs> yeah, man, I'm concerned for our youth of today. I think there's too much of an emphasis put on excelling at a young age when it's more learning is what you need to do when you're young. You need to learn how to play and you need to do, you need to learn exactly what we've been talking about. And that's, how to figure out what your limitations are, not only physically, but how to conquer those mental limitations too, which keep you from really enjoying the game that we are, you know, whether you're pushed into it or not, or it's your choice, wrote a great book, uh, Slow Getting Up. It was his tale of playing in the NFL from the bottom of the pile, not being the quarterback like me, but being a guy on the bubble his whole career. You know, he put the quote that he used for me in the front of his book was, Football is fun. And it was. It was fun. Yep. And then when it wasn't fun anymore, that's when I retired. And people wonder why I retired. That's why. It wasn't fun anymore. My basis for playing games and sports was for the fun of it. Not to be a millionaire. Not to be on a magazine cover. Not to build my brand. Not to, you know, be the best or a Hall of Famer. It was because it was fun. That was it. I love it. And that's, that's the key. I mean, that's when, when shit yep. starts to go bad, you got to go question your why and your why should usually connect with having fun. Why am I doing this? I got, if you're not having fun, if you're doing it for external things, then it's going to burn out pretty quick and it has to be, there's got to be some element of fun. So I, I'm with you, man. I, I yeah, man. To fuel that passion, to fuel that passion, it has to be fun. If it's not fun, then your passion is, is fake. And, uh, if it's not something you enjoy doing from the bottom of your heart, you know, you, you have to be in it for the fact that it is a fun. It's fun to compete. It's fun to roll to my left and sling <laughs> one three-quarter between two linebackers to my guy who's sliding down on the ground, and I throw it low on purpose. You know what I'm talking about. You don't lead him sometimes. Sometimes you do miss down at their feet to save them and get yelled at by the coach. But, no, that was my game, was having fun and being lost in that moment. And uh, when you can get that quiet mind, that ability when you're out there and everything is gone, and when I think to my playing days, I, I don't recall hearing the crowd. I don't recall hearing anything once the ball was snapped. It was complete silence. Yep. When I think back and try to remember getting sacked and what that felt like, I can't remember it because I was so you know, transported into this other realm it didn't matter until you got hit and it was over. And then you get up and you're like, oh, God, that hurts. <laughs> you know? Totally. Went back to the huddle to do it again, man. And that, that was the fun of it for me was just that ability to really just get lost in the, in the moment and uh, go out there and try your best. You know, it's funny when people ask me about, you know, my career and the things that I've done, you know, and, it, and when it comes back to that question, like what was fun, you know, being a quarterback – Sure, winning was fun, throwing game-winning touchdown, throwing a bomb, like that, you know, a crucial first down, that's fun. But to be honest with you, for me, rolling out, whether it was my left or my right, I, it was just, that was where I was dangerous. And that's when everything, like, I was, I was just the most free. Or, or when I did a play-action um, 
a play action. If I can just fake you and just totally have you bite yeah. on that, that I love, man. I thought that because it was an art, and I worked on it, and uh, I loved it. I loved doing that, and that was fun. That's what I tell kids nowadays, little kids. I say, especially their parents, too, and they ask me, how, what do I need to do with little Johnny to make him a good quarterback? I said, you need to teach him how to throw on the run. If he's 10, 11 years old and he can't roll to his left full speed, find some way to torque and contort his body, plant that foot and, and rip it through and not set up and stop, but stay on the run, you've just, prevent, you've just saved him and helped him hopefully have a, a, a fun time playing ball because you don't sit in a pocket till you get to college, really. I mean, maybe in high school you got some semblance of a pocket, but most of the time you're going to have to be moving on the run to throw the football. So learn to throw on the run, young kids. Yep, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I have yeah. I want to, because I want to respect your time here, and I do want to get into kind of what you're doing now. But because I'm, um, I, I mean, I watched, your, I watched your career. There's so many awesome games and things you've done in your professional career. But there's there, that Rose Bowl game that I want to bring up against Ohio State. And, but you were just talking about like being in that moment and being totally present. And I feel, you know, as an athlete, you know, besides winning a championship, I think one of the most beautiful things an athlete can actually experience is being in, in, in the zone or being in flow where everything yeah. like where you're in control, every, whether you hear stuff, you don't hear anything, things are really fast and you have, you don't even know what you're doing, but you're doing everything right. Um, because I bring this up because I wanted to I wanted to kind of lead into that that Ohio State game because it seemed like that last drive that fourth quarter like you were in the zone and when I mean when you're in the zone you were like doing everything right you were you were being so vulnerable with your body with your throws the way you're running and even when you're on the sideline I was watching like your your face was like you were locked in like like you looked like a different person. Is it fair to say that in that game that you were experiencing flow or being in the zone? Yeah, man, for sure. To get to that position, to get to that, you know, spot in my career where my, my dream, uh, uh, why I played football was to win a Super Bowl, okay? That was the main thing. And then to be in college, it's a national championship. And that's why I went to ASU. And I can recall a couple of times, seasons prior, where, we had a shot to go to the bowl game to, to win against U of A, our rival, and go to a bowl game. And we had alumni on the sideline one year saying, you know, up two touchdowns against U of A at home, saying, remember this feeling. It's amazing. You'll never, you'll never have another feeling like this, beating your rival at home. And I look up at the clock, and there's four and a half minutes left. And I started dog cussing the alumni and telling them to get off my field to get the you-know-what out of here because this game's far from over. And sure enough, we lose it. So – for me, I was like, here we are. We're in the Rose Bowl. We're, we're trying to go undefeated, and, and we can be undefeated and be a national champ. I was laser-focused, and, and guys started getting excited after I scrambled in and scored that touchdown, and there was still a couple minutes left. Guys were like, we're national champs. We did it. Guys on my team. <laughs> and that's why I say there's some guys that might not have a real great story about me because a lot of guys weren't playing that day. They just had their jerseys on. They were walk-ons or freshmen or whatever. I started dog cussing every one of them, telling them to get away from me and not say another word about being national champs. We had two minutes left to go. We had to close this thing out. So when you watch into that game, you see me just like a mad dog up there, pissed off and just like finish, please finish. But for some odd reason, we didn't. And maybe that was because the Ohio State fans believed more than, than my Arizona State fans. Or maybe we thought we had it. You know, that, that energy thing, like I say, is, Oh, we got this, and then no, you don't. You know, it's uh, a, <laughs> it's a, it's an amazing thing to just buy in and to keep pushing. And uh, that Rose Bowl was so surreal, so amazing to be one playing there, and to have beat UCLA there earlier in the year. You know, at all against all odds, come back from three and a, you know three and a half scores down to win there. And you know, I stopped the offensive bus on the way out and told everybody to turn around and look back at the stadium, and I. I said, listen, make, it in, make, make your mind up right now that we're going to be back here uh, in January to play in this Rose Bowl again. Mm. And, you know, it was, just a, it was just a real special year. You know, of course, we didn't win the game, and we're still celebrated as one of the most amazing teams, even though we lost that last game. But it was just the, the guys on that team were a lot like myself. 
they were kind of a cast off and told, were told they weren't good enough to go play at USC or wherever. But we did it, man. We pulled together and we were tight. And we had a very, very good coach that taught us to, to don't be afraid to pull the trigger. Bruce Snyder always said it. You know, pull the trigger. It goes around the circle and comes back. And it's how you, how you respond to whatever happens, whether it's successful or not. It's always that one-at-a-time mentality. I threw the ball and it was interception. That's one play. What's next play? I don't know. I'm going to see if I can make it a successful one. But don't live in the past and don't live in the future. you got to be present in that moment. Yeah. And uh, it makes me think of these kids nowadays, too, that are, that are playing in college with, the, with the, you know, this kid in Oregon. Uh, you know, he's the number one pick in the draft or the first quarterback taken. And how can he really be laser focused when he's already probably considering and thinking about, man, I'm going to make millions of dollars. <laughs> and you said it a second ago, I laid my body, I laid everything on the line in that Rose Bowl. I didn't give a shit about the NFL or anything <laughs> at all about what was next. I wanted to be a national champ. So I see these kids nowadays and you kind of, you can see it. Now you're going to probably watch it more, Grant. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. They kind of like, they're not there. They're not 100% there for the Penn State Nittany Lions. They're kind of there, but they're thinking about being a first rounder. Yeah. And it's a bad thing to do. You got to let, you got to not think about that. Being present will help you become a first rounder. Thinking about being a first rounder is nothing but thoughts. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, I teach this all the time. I teach it's next place speed. If you want next place speed, you got to have a language in your mind that says, so what next play? So what next play? I don't care if it's basketball. I don't care if it's yeah. football. You've got to get ready for that next play. And if you don't, and you start thinking about whatever, you know, your chances of getting drafted or your failures or whatever it is, man, you just pulled yourself out of focus. You went to the past or you went to yeah. the future. You're not playing present, man. You're not where your feet are. So, so what next play? So I love it, man. I love it. I love it. You're, you're preaching the gospel, man. Yeah. I love it. All right. So you're getting me fired up, man. <laughs> I know, man. I, I mean, I can speak to you for the next couple hours here, man. This is some good stuff. So yeah, man. real quick before I have just a couple questions here before we sign off, uh, when it comes to transition, which is, it's a real thing. I don't care if it's in high school, you know, college pro Olympians, you, you have to move on from the sport and there's going to be, there's going to be that time where you have to move on. So yeah. when, when you, obviously you left because you weren't having fun, but was that transition, how was that transition for you? And then share with my listeners what you're doing right now for the company Ready List Sports. Yeah, you know, my transition was one that when I left the game, I, I, I did it on my own terms, which is not common in the NFL. You know, I wasn't told, you're no good, we don't want you anymore. Uh, I kind of was by Shanahan. You know, he went with the young gun, Jay Cutler. But we all know that, you know, that was not the right decision. I knew it then, and everyone kind of knows now that was probably not the be best decision to make. But I was ready. You know, the year before when we almost went to the, the Super Bowl, we lost in the AFC Championship. That was going to be the year I retired with the Lombardi Trophy in my hand and an MVP award for the Super Bowl and achieving my dream, a uh, childhood dream to win a Super Bowl. But, you know, we didn't get there. So I came back for that last season. And when I got benched at the end of the year, it was really hard. It really pissed me off. But then I thought, man, let's enjoy the rest of my career. I'm done after this year. I'm ready to move on. Uh, to make that decision was tough. But I also, you know, I, I didn't have a ton of respect. And I don't know why, but I always wondered why guys would retire and then come back. And then retire and then come back. And I understood it once I retired that that, that game is hard to leave. You said it earlier, and I said it too, man. Rolling to my left and threading needle on the ball. <laughs> that was so much fun that that's what I missed. But all the other stuff that went with it, the, the anti-inflammatories, the treatment, the, the coach that wants to change the way you approach studying in the game and trying to make you a player that you're not by standing in the pocket till the very end, like that all weighed into my decision to just be done with the game. And I played 10 straight years, so... For me, it was not a hard decision. I was fall, I'd fallen in love with an amazing woman, and I was ready to move on and just see what else was out there. So when I retired, you know, Tampa wanted to be bad, but I was done. I was just done mentally. I was done physically. I had no more desire to go do this and play this game, and that's what helped me move on and transition. Of course, there were tough times. I didn't watch any football. 
I moved to Sandpoint, Idaho, about 48 acres, and I lived in the woods with my wife and played a ton of handball with my brothers. And that was what I did to transition. Um, you know, the real transition probably happened once, you know, that, that got tiring and that was just something I did every day to find what's next. That's the real next thing that is a struggle for some guys is what are you going to do now that you're done? What, what can bring out that passion and fire and, and ignite your sense of, of wanting to get up every day? What is it that's going to make you want to get up and go do something every day? You know, you got to have something to put your energy into or else then you get into trouble and that transition can be extremely difficult. So for me, it, it was a lot of things. You know, I got into to advocating for a better way to treat injuries uh, through, through cannabis, through hemp oils. I got involved with kind of speaking out about that to try to change that narrative and that uh, the dogma for years that has been, you know, this is an evil drug. It's worse than cocaine and it's going to derail everything you ever try to do. And instead, you know, focus on a different way to, to, to not only take care of your health and wellness while you're playing, but to also, uh, you know, help your longevity down the road not be uh, at, at risk due to the fact you're taking all these opioids and anti-inflammatories that are harmful for your body. So that was a great thing to kind of get into. And then what, what really happened was my buddy Chad Freehoff came to me with a concept and an idea for this digital playbook called Ready List Sports. It's a better way to study. It's a better way to teach. It's a better way to draw your plays. It's just a badass, awesome modality and software and technology that, that I wish was around when I was playing because I went to bed a lot of times wishing I had 30 more minutes or an hour left to study a little bit more, but I knew that sleep was important. So I would have to shut that book at night and actually go to bed and get sleep where if I had this tool now that we've created – my, my stress levels would have gone way down. I would have been more prepared, better prepared, and uh, been able to go succeed. And that's really what we're trying to do with Ready List Sports is give these young kids a chance to not worry about the mental side of the game, but to go out and then understand physically you may get beat. But mentally, if you prepare well, you're going to put yourself in better better position to succeed. And that's what Ready List Sports is really all about. We just want to make the game more enjoyable by providing a better way to learn it uh, while these coaches want to push all this knowledge down to like, you know, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds standing in the pistol, getting the shotgun snap and reading their receiver if he's going to go deep or, or cut it short. And that's too much to put on a kid if you're not teaching them correctly. Right. So we've created this modality to hopefully bridge that little bit of a learning, ga- learning gap and help these kids go out and have fun. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a challenge. But you said it earlier as quarterbacks, we don't back down from challenges. And if we get knocked down and told no, that doesn't, that doesn't stop us from going right back into the next office and showing a coach what we got and seeing if they want it. So it's been great that, that what I've learned as a, a player mentally to, to fight through being told no and my failures on the field. Because in business, that's really what's going to happen. You're going to fail. Um, and we've failed a few times, but we're right there on the cusp now with an amazing product that you know, 2020 is going to be a big year for Ready List. Beautiful. And, and how do people learn more about Ready List and, and where's the website and all that fun stuff? Yeah, you know, readylistsports.com. That's the best place to go. We have a digital, fully loaded, preloaded playbook, good for four on four youth all the way up to the pros. Um, and right now we got a, a couple pro teams using it because some college teams, some high school teams, all the way down to some youth flag teams. So, trying to cover the whole gamut and give a tool to these kids that really can help them. And uh, so far it's been fun. It's been a challenge, but you know, we're making a difference and hopefully creating a better, better playing field, a more even playing field for everybody. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. One more question. One more t- question before we sign off here. When you, when you reflect um, on your whole career as an athlete and also your career as an entrepreneur, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think what I learned the most about myself is when I bring my, when I bring my heart, when I bring my passion and when I believe that something can happen, um, I've got special powers, like not, you know, not like, uh, the ability to climb a wall or see through concrete, but I got some pretty special powers to motivate the people around me and to make things happen. And, uh, not only on the playing field, but in, in, in uh, the business world, if I believe it and I put my effort into it, 
and I get people around me to get a little fired up, you know, good things are going to happen. And that's where, you know, I, I continue to believe in myself and the people around me and also believing in the guys around me. Like I just said, you know, you're only as good as your team. And when you got a good team around you, you know, I think the sky's the limit. So that's probably what I've learned the most, man. Man, I love it, man. Jake, I this has been an honor, man. I, I wish I had more time with you because there's so many more questions that I want to <laughs> dig in. But uh, well, we'll have you back on the show for sure. But just having you on my show, sharing your mindset, your energy, your love for the game, um, I really appreciate it, man. It's been a treat today. Hey, Grant, thank you, man. Thanks for having me on the show. And you're doing a great job, man. Keep it up. People need to know that sports is more than just being able to make 25 baskets in a row. It's when you miss how you respond. So keep up the good work, man. All right, man. I appreciate it.